Whole Hog Sports presents the basketball podcast of Mid-America, the premier Arkansas hoops podcast brought to you by Landers Toyota of Northwest Arkansas. Here's your host, Whole Hog Sports basketball analyst, Scotty Bordelon. Welcome into the basketball podcast of Mid-America. It is February 24th and Arkansas basketball seems to be on a roll entering a big final stretch of the regular season. We appreciate you listening in today and checking us out. I'm Scotty Bordelon of Whole Hog Sports and happy as always to be joined by Andrew Joseph of Whole Hog Sports and Bob Holt of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Before we get into Arkansas's last two wins over Florida and Georgia, I sat down to kind of finish up the rundown for today's podcast. I saw that Kermit Davis had been let go at Ole Miss and you know I'll be the I guess the first to say today I think you know Kermit's a he's a pretty pretty quality coach uh, I remember getting a really good quote from him on Trevor Brazil at SEC media days it feels like last week I mean that was back in October and um, who would have thought that he wouldn't have made it through the through this whole season um, but Ole Miss has struggled a lot in the last two years I think they're I looked up there six and 27 in SEC play the last two years and so there's a national coaching search going on at Ole Miss the day before a home game I believe against LSU um, it just seems like Ole Miss is a really tough place to to build a winner at least from my perspective and I think the crazy thing is Kermit was coach of the year in the SEC in 2018-2019 in and that was his only NCAA tournament team at Ole Miss so Bob I think you you kind of you probably know Kermit Davis a little bit better than than either of us it just seems like life can come at you pretty fast in this league especially you know the way that the the league has kind of put a a focus more on basketball in recent years yeah I I, I agree with you I think he's a quality coach he's he's a veteran coach I think he'd been at Middle Tennessee uh, for like 17 years and uh he made them a really tough mid-major that they were the kind of team the the big boys didn't want to play you know they went to uh you know some NCAA tournaments and pulled some upsets and he built that into a really nice program and I and uh you know that got him a, a, a shot at the old Miss job and like you say he went to the NCAA tournament his first year and he replaced the coach, Andy Kennedy, who did a pretty solid job there. You know, Andy went to some NCAA tournaments, usually went to the NIT, but I guess Ole Miss felt like they had a higher ceiling. And, you know, Kermit, you go to the tournament your first year, you don't go the next four. You know, it's pretty hard. Even a, a school like Ole Miss doesn't have great basketball tradition because, you know, I think Ole Miss, they see, Rob Evans went in there, did an incredible job did really the, what probably nobody believed was possible and made them into a consistent winner and won some SEC West titles back when they had divisions and went to the NCAA tournament and that landed Rob the Arizona State job and he couldn't he couldn't sustain success there. And he later was an Arkansas assistant. And then Rod Barnes replaced Rob and and had some success but couldn't sustain it. And and then Andy had a pretty good run there for ten years or so. But um, yeah, I think it'll be an attractive job. They've got the pavilion now. That's a really nice facility. It's not super big, but it's probably exactly what Ole Miss needs—a real nice ten thousand seat facility. And so I, I think there'll be there be some good uh, up and coming mid major type guys, or maybe some some hot shot assistants. Uh, maybe with SEC backgrounds, they'll be interested in that job. So I think they'll be able to hire somebody pretty good. I, I think Kermit Davis is a good coach. It just just didn't work out. That, that's just a hard place. With the especially with the SEC getting better and better in basketball, um, it's it's just a hard place to win on a consistent basis. 
Yeah, not to turn this into an Ole Miss basketball podcast because I know nobody nobody listens to this for that. But I'm curious to see if Kermit lands somewhere else, maybe like at a smaller school head coach job, or you know maybe some program Power Five takes a takes a shot on him uh, as an assistant coach, maybe in the off season. But I couldn't help. I think it was last weekend or maybe late last week. I was watching NC State and North Carolina, and one of NC State's best players this year is Jarkel Joyner who played for Ole Miss and he, he transferred out of that program. So, I mean, just kind of the nature of the beast these days with the transfer portal, your, your best players sometimes are going to take a, take a leap to, you know, go play for a program that's contending for a spot in the postseason. So it, I don't know that Jarko Joyner makes a world of difference on that team, but um, probably could definitely make an impact on, on both ends of the floor for them. Um, getting back to Arkansas because like I said, we don't want to turn this into Ole Miss basketball pod, but Arkansas has won back-to-back games over Georgia and Florida. It kind of felt like a must-win home stand for Arkansas in the last week. Um, it was big time in terms of like their postseason aspirations, and they hammered Florida and Georgia by a combined 51 points. So Arkansas now going into this weekend, they're 19-9 and overall, 8-7 and in the league, and they've got three games to go. Um, I guess just you guys' thoughts on the last two wins and what they meant to this team. And I don't, Eric kind of alluded to it the other night. It seems like a team that's maybe coming together from a chemistry standpoint at a pretty opportune time. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was they got quality minutes uh, for Nick Smith. You know, he only played four minutes at AM, which in retrospect, I know some people might be shaking their heads, but in retrospect, that was Nick's first road game. Arkansas led. Most of the game, you know, even though they got beat, I guess, 62 to 56, but they led for most of the game. And so I, watching that, it's, I think it's easy to understand. And Nick had two turnovers in just four minutes of the first half. Didn't really look in sync. And I think Eric felt like, hey, we're going to ride with the guys that have been playing the most minutes. And it just didn't quite work out at the end. You know, A&M got him in the end. But then, you know, I, I kind of had a feeling they were going to, uh, start them against Florida because, you know, Florida lost Castleton. They were very guard-oriented anyway. They were back home. You felt like, hey, this is a team Arkansas should beat. And so let's give Nick Smith, um, you know, some rain, kind of like you have a racehorse, you know, some rain there. And he, you know, played pretty well against them. I think he had 10 points, 30-plus. I think the big thing was he got 32 minutes. And then he really went went off against Georgia, which, grand is not a great team, but they're certainly much more competitive than they were last year. And had 26, hit five threes, which has obviously been a trouble spot for Arkansas. And they ended up hitting 11 threes. And you can see just open things up for other guys. And so I think they're a totally different team going to Alabama uh, with Nick Smith playing the way he is. And that, that, that was my big takeaway. Obviously nice wins for Arkansas at home, but, you know, they feel like they got Nick Smith, you know, really, really going again. Yeah. I think the, the involvement that Nick Smith has had has kind of created, I guess it's created more space on the offensive end for, for other guys. And I think that allows you to get the best out of guys like Ricky council. And so I think the past two games, uh, against Florida and Georgia, you've seen Ricky Council at his best. Uh, I think he had 15 and seven against Florida, uh, and then uh, I'm looking at the game log here, and then he had 22 points or 20 22 and three against Georgia, and then the 15 and seven was against Florida. And I just think when you have such a perimeter threat like Nick Smith, it really opens up uh, your your offense for those elite athletes to get inside. And create, and I think I liked what Nick Smith said in the post game press conference about 
being asked about whether or not it was just good to finally see the ball go in the net for him. And and he was pretty much like, well, whether it goes in or not, I'm not going to stop shooting it. And I shoot think that's, or shoot, man. That's I think that's what this Arkansas team has kind of missed. Uh, a guy because I think it's human nature when you miss a couple shots to take your foot off the gas and maybe try to facilitate the ball more. But Nick Smith's not wired to do that. Like he's built to score. So I think this that really serves this Arkansas team well. Yeah, shoot or shoot, man. And I, Nick is just yeah, like you mentioned, he's wired differently. He just does. He doesn't have the the same mentality offensively that a couple that you know not a couple guys, but a lot of guys. You know, not only in the SEC, but nationwide, they see a couple. Or, you know, like I, I think it was the maybe the Florida game went 0 for 4 from three. And then the next time out, when he puts up eight threes, like he just he trusts his work. It seems like more than more than most guys. I know there are a lot of people who were curious about how Nick's return would impact this team, whether good or bad. Um, so I wanted to take a second to look at some of the numbers from Hoop Lens. It's a analytics website that I subscribe to. It's an incredible resource for lineup data and kind of looking at how a team performs on both ends when a particular particular guy or set of guys are on the floor. So in the four games that Nick has come back for, Arkansas scored 1.22 points per possession in his 147 offensive possessions. That's uh that's pretty dead gum good. Um Arkansas's made 65.5% of their two-point looks and maybe most impressively offensively um, that was pretty hard to to top sixty five and a half percent inside the arc, but from three, they're shooting almost forty percent. They're at thirty eight point seven, and defensively, defensively has been really interesting too because they've allowed zero point eight four points per possession against Mississippi State, A and M, Florida, and Georgia, um, and those teams have shot thirty seven percent on on two point shots. If you look at just the Georgia game alone, Arkansas almost scored a point and a half in his forty eight possessions on the floor. They were 66.7% on twos, 56.3% from deep when he was on the floor defensively. You know, they I think they kind of let their foot off the pedal a little bit on the defensive end. So those numbers came in at 0.92 points per possession, but the rim protection um, and the interior defense was really good. They held Georgia under 32% on two-point shots. Um, I think we were all expecting, obviously, the way that Nick can score the ball. He just I, I said it the other day. He's just got like a really aesthetically pleasing game. And Eric, I think in the preseason said that it looks like Nick is just moving on skates. Like he just kind of glides across, glides around on the floor. Um, he's just, he's, he's moves differently. I don't really know how to ex else to explain it, but you just watch him. I think a lot of people would pick up on that too. We knew that Arkansas, when Nick got back into form, would be a better offensive team. But were you guys expecting Arkansas to like not miss a beat on the defensive end with him back? Because I mean, he those numbers that I just rattled off. It was I know it was probably a lot, a lot to take in, um, but they're just they're playing like they haven't missed a beat defensively. And every time you see Nick defending a ball handler, he's down in a stance. He's he's in a guy. He's like he's being agitating to the point where he like he'll hand check a guy and he'll make the ball handler like slap his hand away multiple times uh, before he puts the ball down. Where where do y'all think he's maybe having the the greatest impact? Um, on this on this team is it you know just I think to me it's probably the early shot clock offense and it feels like Nick is already playing on that 24 second shot clock you know a lot of NBA teams if you watch those games they're they're getting a shot up or they're at least getting well into their actions like eight to ten seconds in and I think I haven't gone back and looked at this yet but I, I would 
I would venture to say most of Nick's shots have come like in the first 10 to 12 seconds of the shot clock, but uh, just thoughts on, on how he's impacted Arkansas most on, on either end. Well, I think he's been good on both ends, but I think probably more so on offense along with the perimeter shooting. I think, you know, they just push the pace with him better. He's another, you know, guy to get the ball out to, and, and uh, he hadn't had a lot of rebounds, but he can rebound too, six, five. Uh, so I think, and I think they just all, I think everybody just feels better when he's on the floor, you know, they just feel more confident and there's a little more bounce in their step. And um, even if he's not, obviously it's better if he's hitting shots, but if he's not hitting shots, you got defenses are focusing on him and that's opening things up for other guys, whether it's shots on the perimeter, lanes to the basket. And, but he's been really good on defense. Um, I don't want to point fingers, but I remember watching Arkansas play South Carolina. I didn't think Gigi Jackson was exactly Mr. Defense for South Carolina. You know, I'm not saying he played NBA all-star defense, but there's a six, nine rangy kid that you think could be really effective. And I just didn't, he didn't seem as engaged on defense as he did on offense watching that game to me, but yeah, Nick, you know, maybe it's just, I think he, he was a good defensive player. I think, you know, when he played the first time, I guess the first comeback, I'll call it when he missed the six games, played five and then had to sit out again, but you can just tell he's very emotional. He brings, you know, Anthony black talked about all the energy he brings and that's on the offensive end, but I think it's on the defensive end too. Yeah, we talked a lot about his his offensive game, and I think maybe his defensive impact kind of goes a little unnoticed. But on the defensive end, I mean, he looks like a guy that had been sitting out and been dying to get back on the court. Like, he looks like he has been waiting to play basketball and finally getting his chance. And And like you said, the emotion and the passion he plays with is very evident. And to Bob's point about Gigi Jackson maybe being – a little lackadaisical on the defensive end sometimes. I think it's a credit to Eric Musselman when you have guys like Nick Smith Jr. who can really coast on their offensive ability because they're so supremely gifted that whether he plays good defense or not, he's, he's going to get drafted, uh, but he's still playing at a high level defensively, and I think that's a credit to the coaching staff. Yeah, I think the difference in, in, in Nick and Gigi it might, too, be kind of a product of their environment. You know, like South Carolina's not – not a great team on on either end of the floor and I think Gigi's probably one of those guys you know you saw it a little bit on on Wednesday night when South Carolina was playing Alabama Gigi was getting some shots to fall and he was engaged on the offensive end or on the defensive end and he you know when he was there's a Nick is one of those guys where I don't think that his defensive effort is going to wane because you know he goes over over three or over four from three or, you know, maybe misses a, a bunny or two or a shot that he felt like should fall. Um, Nick is just, yeah, Nick is, Nick's been great. And Eric even gave him props the other night for, you know, his, his defensive effort. And, you know, the way that Arkansas has been defending ball screens, it's, it's like a sin if you go underneath one and Arkansas's guards have done a pretty good job of going over screens and then at that point, Eric said they call it like that rearview mirroring defense where you're still defending the guy and you're kind of sandwiching him, you know, between whoever the on-ball defender is and then the the big that's in drop coverage. And Nick is – I thought he's – I think he's done a pretty good job either trying to poke the ball from behind when the ball is being put on the floor. And then, you know, if if his matchup is putting a shot up, he's doing a pretty good job contesting from from behind. So that's that's going to be, I think, a big thing to watch this weekend because Alabama's guards, if they're not taking threes, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to probably 
Arkansas guys are probably going to try to to funnel um, their ball handlers into the into the twins, who in the last three games have held opposing teams to nine of forty four um, from the floor uh, when they're the nearest defender to a shot. So it might not be exactly a, ba- a bad idea. It's probably a pretty good strategy to funnel those guys into Arkansas's bigs right now. Speaking of Arkansas's bigs, Jalen Graham went crazy against Florida over the weekend. He had a career high 26 off the bench, and then he followed it up with eight against Georgia. I thought it was pretty noteworthy that I think in the first five games, he scored 10 plus points. And the next time out, he had like a combined four points. And then he followed up that 26 point game against Florida with eight against Georgia. And I know everything's about matchups and, you know, some of the things that you can provide to a lineup in terms of if a guy's going to get onto the floor again. Um, but is is he figuring it out, do y'all think? Is is Eric, I guess, trying to – I don't want to say trying to make it happen, but just really feels like they're doing a really high-quality job of, of taking advantage of some matchups. And um, do you guys think that Jalen, you know, is going to be a factor for Arkansas, you know, down the stretch of the season here? I, I do. Um, you know, he's he's got – I think he had five rebounds the other day. You know, limited minutes, eight points. I think he had three or four shots. He hit a couple free throws again. Um, so, you know, the things that, that he was doing real, that he's done really well all year is score inside, you know, the spin cycle, the spin moves, you know, the dunk showing some good patience down there, the things he hasn't been doing consistently. Well, yeah, he, he was shooting free throws, you know, like Eric kind of yeah, joked had a about batting it. average. <laughs> yeah. He had a hall, hall of fame batting average, 333. Um, but that's gotten better. I mean, you think about the Baylor game where he played really well in a lot of ways, uh, you know, didn't score a lot, but rebounded real well. And but he missed four. I think he was zero for four on free throws. And some some of those might have been front ends. I can't remember. But you know, then they lost the game by three. And I'm not saying it's on Jalen Graham because a lot of guys, uh, you know, there there were a lot of plays. But you know, he wasn't shooting free throws. He wasn't rebounding very well. He wasn't real consistent on defense. He was turning the ball over too much. That that's a lot of negatives versus the positives of his scoring ability. But now he's been rebounding better. I think he's playing better defense. He's shooting free throws better. Still having some turnovers, but not to the extent he was. So. I think he's cleaned up a lot of the areas that probably were causing Eric to say, like, I don't care how how well this guy shoots. I can't keep him on the floor for 25 minutes with these other holes in his game. And I think, you know, I think that it happens in Eric's system, you know, um, not to put it on Arizona State, but, you know, I think, you know, Eric coaches maybe a little more intensely than a lot of guys and, and he's going to stress defense and other things. It's not just scoring. It's not just being pretty out there. It's getting down and dirty, and I think, um, you know, it took Stanley and Mude a while to figure that out last year, um, you know, and and I, I'm obviously they're different kinds of players. Stanley's a perimeter player, um, and and, and Jalen's inside, but I think Jalen's is, is figuring it out. Hey, this is what I need to do to stay on the floor and get big minutes, and and he's got the skill set to do it. It's just a matter of, of figuring it all out. Yeah, I think. It's always been about the the little things with Jalen Graham. Uh, obviously, we know he's a talented scorer and offensive threat, uh, but he's got a pair of blocks in each of the last two games. He's rebounding the ball better, like Bob said. And I think, you know, I think the little things come uh, as he gains confidence and as he the more he plays on the floor, I think the more engaged he is on trying to do the little things like rebounding defense. Um, and those are that's how you earn the minutes for Eric Musselman. And I think. He's been a guy who who understands that. I think every time 
he has like a little a blow up game, not as maybe not as big as the one he had against Florida, but whenever he he would show up and do the post game interviews, uh, he would always mention that like he, he was aware that he needed to do more than just score to get on the floor, and I think you can tell that he's been working at it. Yeah, I think the block shots are are a big deal. I mean, you're six nine, man, and it it I think Jalen last weekend against Florida was having a really good game and. And then he tried to take a couple charges and I'm just like sitting up there, like wanting to beat my head into the table that I'm sitting at. Cause I'm like, you're six, nine, man, try to block a shot. You've got, you got one of the best reaches and, you know, wingspans I would imagine on this team, you know, commit to being that interior presence, you know, when you're on the defensive end block shots. Uh, I think he had one block the other night where he made a great late rotation and pinned a shot to the glass. And I think it led to a run out. Um, for Arkansas, but I, I I agree wholeheartedly with Andrew. I think the defensive end, he's coming around, and I've looked like I go back and and track shots defended the last three games. Opponents are five of nineteen from the floor against him as the nearest defender. So that's a that's a, I would say that's a big time <laughs> improvement for him, and uh, he keeps doing that. I think Arkansas is going to be really 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 confident you know going down this not only the stretch of the seat the regular season but the sec tournament um you know it's not end all be all the sec tournament but obviously you want to have some success and then the ncaa tournament you get there you've got three bigs that you trust a lot that that really i think probably takes a, a load off of eric's mind i would imagine the Basketball Podcast of Mid-America is sponsored by Landers Toyota of Northwest Arkansas. Visit their showroom at 411 South Metro Parkway in Rogers or online at LandersToyotaNWA.com. For all your automotive needs, shop Landers Toyota NWA in Rogers, where we guarantee you the best buying experience and best service after the sale in Arkansas. Landers Toyota NWA in Rogers. Wholehogsports.com has the largest, most experienced staff of reporters covering sports in Arkansas. Football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, and more. You'll find it at wholehogsports.com. The website includes up-to-minute news, daily commentaries, and award-winning photography from the staffs of Hogs Illustrated and the Democrat Gazette. For subscriptions, call 1-800-757-6277. That's 1-800-757-6277. Or visit us online today. Wholehogsports.com. Want more coverage of your home team? Download the Whole Hog Sports Video On Demand app. Check out the Fan Zone and get up-to-the-minute videos, podcasts, and features on football, basketball, baseball, recruiting, and more. Search for Whole Hog Sports on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire at home. And take it with you on the go by downloading it for your mobile device in your app store. The Whole Hog Sports Video On Demand app. Get it today. There was an interesting thread earlier this week on our basketball forum on our message board uh, that I wanted to bring to you guys and get thoughts on. I know I messaged you guys about it yesterday just to give you a little bit of a heads up. Um, it, it was about Arkansas's best dunkers, and I know that's kind of a random topic to throw in late in the season, but our member, uh, Votan, he gave his his rundown of who he believed were the program's top five dunkers. And I think it's a really interesting conversation from a couple. It's like, I feel, feel like it's kind of two pronged. I mean, it's guys who are in great in game dunkers and then guys who had great dunks. You know what I mean? Like the Michael Qualls dunk, 
I think Michael Qualls probably fits in the category of both places there, the great in-game dunker. And then he had a couple of the more memorable dunks that at least I can I can remember. I know I'm a young guy. I don't have I'm not like an encyclopedia like Bob is. Um, but you know, sometimes they can overlap and um I looked at there's a 25 minute video from War Machine of Arkansas's greatest dunks. And there's some some really, really good ones in there. Um, I think Ricky Council's got to be up there, right? Like in both categories, because his in-game dunks. And I, I, I throw Ricky in there maybe at the top. And I'm curious to get, especially Bob Stoss, having covered Arkansas basketball for a long time. But Ricky just makes the difficult look so casual on a regular basis that I, he just kind of like, just like he floats up to, you know catch those reverse lobs he just like floats up to the top of the list for me just because he's supremely supremely athletic and um he's throwing down reverse reverse dunks just like in transition you know with the guy in the general vicinity like just an arm's length away um where do you guys land with ricky in terms of the program's best dunkers and, and who are some of the other guys that come to mind for y'all I think Ricky's right up there. I remember he had a reverse dunk. It might have been an exhibition game or one of the early season conference games. I can't remember, but it was really impressive. And uh, I think it's to the point now where, you know, if he gets the ball on the open floor, you know, fans are getting ready to stand up and and react to a, you know, rim-rattling dunk or something that's going to – you're going to see later that night on ESPN Sports Center Top 10. You know, he's had several of those. And Trevor Brazil – you know, bless his heart. Before he got hurt, he had some really impressive dunks. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I know they weren't playing the uh, the, the Warriors of the 76ers over there in Europe, but he, you know, did, did uh, had some impressive dunks there. He had that one where he, he had his one hand, he just kind of rocked it back. And then, yeah, he said he wasn't even trying to dunk it. He was just like, <laughs> I just jumped in the rim and the ball were right there. Like, yeah. Made and us all feel was, bad. Was it South Dakota State where he sort of, uh, you know, um, I abused, think so, yeah. abused that freshman and you know but um i guess the guys that come to mind you know this is a player great player from the blast from the past alvin robertson six four guard he was a juco transfer played for arkansas i guess was 83 84 he was a really good dunker him and daryl walker were so much fun to watch and i i knew they were good but i didn't re realize how good they were i guess i was too young and dumb because uh, Daryl was the number 12 pick. Daryl was a year ahead of Alvin. They, I think they played two seasons together. Um, 82, 83, I think I could be wrong. Maybe they just played one. I'm getting old, but, um, you know, they were both really good. Dunk. Yeah, Daryl was the 12th pick by the Knicks and the next year album was a seventh pick by the Spurs. So two top 12 picks. And the, I mean, their calling cards were defense and there were teams now that's, they didn't do this necessarily to Houston or Texas, but there were some teams they played in the non-conference that these guards, it was like a victory if they just got the ball up the court against Daryl and Alvin, and they would take it away from them, kind of like a bully takes the candy away from the kid at school, and then they just go down and just have these massive dunks, and they were just so much fun to watch. Those two guys as a tandem, that, that may be the best, you know, two guards Arkansas has ever had. Certainly, you know, collegiate uh, productivity and high draft picks and good NBA careers. And then, you know, Arkansas, you, I'm also old enough to remember they used to do Midnight Madness and they would have a dunk contest, you know, kind of like the NBA All-Star weekend does. And Brandon Dean, I think Brandon was six, is 6'3", 
Um, he was a really good guard, good all-around player of the year. The year Arkansas won its one and only um, SEC tournament title in 2000. Brandon was the MVP. Now, I think I might have voted for Joe Johnson, but I'm not going to argue with Brandon. So he was a good player. But I remember he did that dunk contest one year. He and um, he uh, took off his jersey or whatever, and he had a Superman T-shirt on, <laughs> and he looked like <laughs> Superman, you know, soaring for those dunks. And the crowd was going crazy, and he was a really great dunker. Um, I got a few things with that. You know, I didn't cover Moncrief, any Moncrief, but uh, I guess the, the iconic Sports Illustrated cover that a lot of Arkansas fans have, or maybe not a lot, a few lucky ones. Um, where he's, you know, covered Sports Illustrated against Texas when they they were number one and and for a week there or whatever it was in '78. You see, you know, Sydney with the ball back and he's, you know, just getting ready to looks like he's going to take the goal down. And that and cover so, turned 45 years old not too long ago. Yeah, that's what made me think of it. I guess I think I would have thought of Sydney anyway, but that that yeah, that a lot of people tweeted that that photo, and I saw one of the people that responded was Jay Billis. You know, the uh, Duke former Duke player and longtime uh, analyst for uh, ESPN. And he, 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 he was one of the guys who replied to that and said, you know, he, he loved the triplets and loved Moncrief, you know, Eric Musselman talked about being a fan of the triplets growing up. And then, um, yeah, like you mentioned, Michael Qualls, I think a great in-game dunker. He's another guy. I'm not sure they had a dunk contest when Michael played. I don't recall that for practice and stuff, but he, uh, he was a big time dunker, you know, Daniel Gafford, of course, Daniel's a bigger guy, but and it's a little more impressive when the when the smaller guys like like um, you know McClung won the the uh, the former Texas Tech player the Devo yep. shut down a couple years ago. You know he's like six one or six two white guy, and he won the dunk contest. I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Well, if you, you watched know? his his high school mixtape, there's yeah. some there's some hints that that boy could get yeah. up. He's he's got some hops. So um, th- th- those were the guys I, I wrote down, uh, the guys I mentioned. But obviously a lot of great athletes in Arkansas history, but th- those were the ones that, that came to my mind. Yeah, I think the, the Daniel Gafford dunk that sticks with me is the the windmill in the SEC tournament against Florida. That was such a big win for Arkansas, I think. That, that team was a lot of fun to cover. And then Daniel just kind of punctuated it. I think that was Arkansas's first win over Florida in a long time. It feels like so that was that was a perfect way to end that game and um, shout out to to Daniel Gafford six eleven running the floor putting it down like that that was I remember I think I actually I was covering that game from home and I actually screamed when he did that it was just it was pretty otherworldly to see a six eleven guy that um, you know you just kind of Mike Anderson liked to throw him the ball on the block but when Daniel stretched his legs you know rim ran he was he he's pretty good. Um, before we wrap this thing up today, I wanted to let listeners know that the Hogs Illustrated Sports Club is back this spring. We've moved the meetings to Home Two Suites by Hilton in Springdale. We got back into the swing of things on Wednesday and had Ken Hatfield as our keynote speaker. He was great, told a lot of neat stories. Um, before he got up to speak, I was talking with him, and he was really excited about the basketball team. Like, he wanted to talk basketball before he got up and um, and spoke in front of everybody. He's a big fan of the Mitchell Twins. I think he called them kind of like the enforcers on the team, and he's really been encouraged by the development of, of Jalen Graham. He, he really thinks that Jalen's going to help Arkansas down the stretch. As far as future sports club meetings, we have one – on the books for March 22nd with a guest speaker that's to be announced. So we'll, we'll have some details on that hopefully in the near future. And then we'll have Tom Pagnazzi on April 26th. So hope you'll join us for those. And I'll be sure to relay 
more info on those lunches in some future episodes. Um, all right. Arkansas is going to Alabama this weekend. And Brandon Miller on Wednesday dropped, I think it was a season high, career high, 41 points, however you want to say it. I don't, I'm, I'm weird about career high and season high for freshmen because, of course, it's a career high if it's a season high. Um, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him the the entire rest of the season, um, you know, given the the details that emerged in Tuesday's uh, preliminary hearing for the Jamea Harris murder case. And, you know, it's it that's going to be a cloud that follows Alabama the rest of the season, no doubt about it. And there's a columnist in Alabama who talked, I think it was to Jamea Harris's stepdad. And he said that, you know, Alabama seasoned season is going to be kind of stained in her blood, which I know that's, that's really deep and it's kind of dark, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's, it's out there. That's to me kind of hit it, hit the nail on the head, but from a basketball standpoint, Arkansas is going to be locked in on Brandon Miller um, as well. And I think everybody's really looking forward to the the rematch between him and, and Devo. You know, Devo was on Little Rock radio earlier this week with Justin Acre and Wes Moore. And they asked, they asked Devo, who's going to check Brandon Miller. And I was like, well, you got, you got the guy. Like, you, I don't even think you had to ask him. Devo's going to want to take that, take that matchup. Um, what, what does Devo have to do? You know, he did a great job with, with Brandon Miller, the first 35 minutes on, on January 11th. Uh, and Bud Walton, what does he have to do to try to slow Brandon Miller down? I was looking at some of Brandon Miller's numbers. He's number one in the league in offensive rating. And for a guy that's got the ball in his hands quite a bit, um, really low turnover rate guy. So it's like Devo, just, does he have to get underneath Brandon Miller? Or, you know, Bob, I think Devo said that discipline plays a, a big role in this. Just what's he got to do to try to limit uh, Brandon Miller from from going off again? Like you say, he played, uh, Devo played such good defense for so long. I mean, Miller not only didn't score in the first half, he didn't even take a shot. I, I was right. just shocked. And he, and even though he got going late, uh, he scored 14, which is, you know, uh, nearly six points under scoring average. So, Arkansas, you know, Devo in particular did a good job on him. Obviously, he had help defense, but, you know, uh, Arkansas was right there with a little under five to play. Our man Jalen Graham had scored at, to cut it to 65-63 after they trailed by 12, and then Alabama called a timeout, kind of gathered itself, and and they hit three threes like in less than a minute. Uh, Clowney, Noah Clowney hit one, and Miller hit two. Two six nine guys that shoot like, you know, they're guards, and that's real tough. But, you know, what Devo said was that – um he, you know, Miller got, had gotten downhill some. If you remember the very start of that second half, Miller took the ball to the hole strong and scored. Right. And so, you know, the, the game plan was for Devo to fight through those picks, you know, not go under them. But he, he said he read it that he, he thought Miller was going to, after that timeout, was going to take the ball downhill, which makes sense because, you know, they're wanting to get a good look, maybe get some contact, get a three-point play or get to the line if he's fouled and doesn't score. But instead, uh, you know, he he popped those two threes, and so Devo took the responsibility for this. Said, "Hey, that's on me. That won't happen again." And I'm, I mean, hey, Brandon Miller, he's capable of scoring thirty plus against anybody, and so he might go off against the Razorbacks. But like we were saying earlier, I think they are an elite defensive team. Devo's without a doubt an elite defensive player. You know, he helped shut down Gigi Jackson in at South Carolina. Then when when uh, you know, Michi Johnson got hot. Devo got on him and cooled him off. And so, 
Um, yeah, I think Devo's really going to be into this. I think he take, takes a lot of pride. If you look at the stats, he regularly shuts down the other other team's top score. You know, Terry Roberts, uh, not that he's Brandon Miller by any stretch of the imagination. He came in there over 14 points. And I know he got hurt late in the game the other night, but he played 29 minutes and scored four points. Low, season low, two two of nine. Guys just usually Devo not only holds guys under their average, they don't shoot very well. You know, Adam Flagler, a really good player for Baylor, went one for eleven against him. And so, um, yeah, I think Devo's going to be very motivated, and I think he's going to be very pesky and you know basically like a gnat or whatever. You know, buzzing around <laughs> Brandon Miller all game, and uh, that, that that's that that's really a, the game within the game to me is to see what Devo. Uh, can do defensively against Miller to slow him down. I would definitely agree with that. I think Arkansas is a little bit different than they were when when they played Alabama the first time around. Mikel Mitchell is a much bigger factor rim protector. So like I said earlier, funneling Alabama's guards into into the twins, I think is a probably a pretty good plan. And so those guys are gonna have to Gonna have to contest shots vertically, maybe better than they have all years. You know, Alabama's probably gonna get a, at least a decent whistle at home. But Arkansas, Alabama, one o'clock on Saturday on ESPN2 kicks off a pretty tough stretch to close the regular season for Arkansas. Um, but for Bob Holt and Andrew Joseph, I'm Scotty Bordelon. We appreciate you as always for tuning in and we'll holler at you again next week. Y'all have a great weekend. The proceeding has been a production of wholehogsports.com. Look for our latest podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast store. And visit us anytime at wholehogsports.com for the latest news and commentary.